Thanks for warming them up, Joe. How are you doing, everybody? Fantastic. I'm, I am ready to go, man. I am ready to go. Thank you so much for your warm reception of David last week. It was probably a little too warm, in my opinion. But that's all right. That's fine. I feel you. It's all, it's all, it's all good. No, Dave and I had a good time talking about that last week. Um, I was gone for a memorial service down in Los Angeles. Um, a good friend of mine, a family actually that took... Oh, David, you're right there. I wouldn't have said that had I known you were there. Um, and uh, I just have to tell you that listening to the Holy Spirit is so desperately important. Um, the gentleman who passed away, he and his wife... I was really good friends and a mentor to their son, still am, and they took me in in a very difficult, hard time of my life, and I truly believe that if they hadn't extended that kindness of taking in a crazy 25, 26-year-old something guy, um, when they had a 19-year-old, 20-year-old guy, um, I probably wouldn't be in ministry right now. I wouldn't have been afforded the opportunity to listen to God. Um, it was a time where I was living on the street at certain points. Um, I don't know that I would be married to this wonderful woman down here, but because of their kindness, I was able to get stability in my life and listen to the Lord. And I realized a couple years ago, I started thinking about the fact that I'd never really done a good job at saying thank you. And then Mike Sr. passed away a year ago, and I just felt the Holy Spirit telling me, you need to go down. You need to pay honor. And I shared with his wife those words, and I received just an incredible letter from her yesterday. That it's one of those letters I won't ever get rid of. And it was just evidence that the Spirit was speaking. And there's so much joy when you get to know that God was moving you to do something, right, that has such a deep and profound effect for someone else. There, there's so much joy in that. So that really ties into where we're going this morning. Oh, hey, uh, I need somebody to help me out. Uh, Scott, can you please get the clicker for me and bring it on up? Uh, let's give a big hand to Scott. He's just... <laughs> Beth, let's go back it down a little bit. A little too heavy on that, that appreciation there. Um, and I got to tell you, uh, ugh, you guys ever get coffee breath in the morning? Ugh. And then with these masks, have you ever like tasted your own breath because of this mask? Oh, it's, and then I had to have the mask on. So if you could just give me a moment, I, I, it's, it's, I can't even tolerate my own breath. So I apologize to you, young lady in the front row there. Um, if I have any chance of, of uh, I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to stop right there. So. Uh, we're just going to make sure we get off to the right start here this morning, and I, need, I really got to take care of uh, this issue. By the way, just kind of a random thought. I was doing some reading, and you remember that Helen of Troy, uh, fictitious person um, in your Greek mythology? <laughs> well, something funny about her? Right, she was awesome. At least they say she was awesome. 
You feel like you're stepping into my bathroom in the morning? Well, yeah. How's this, honey? Get the tongue, right? Yeah. Nice for, oh, get rid of that coffee. Mmm. Mmm. do this every morning. Don't judge. Unbelievable. I have fresh breath now for you so I can give the best sermon possible. Oh, that's so refreshing. This morning, as we continue in PJ's priority passages, this is a sermon series that if the world was going to come to an end and I had 10 weeks with you, what would be, do I have a little residual on my lips? That's going to be a distraction to y'all. Let me just make sure that's all cleaned up. What would be the 10 things I find most important to pass on to you? That's what this sermon series is all about. Where did we start two weeks ago? Faith. Thank you, Sandy. We started with faith. That's foundational, right? So what do you think was going to be number two? What would be the second highest priority in my mind that I would want to share with my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's this idea, fresh breath, yes. So I, I want to share with you the key passage for this idea of spiritual breakthrough. It's Colossians 1.28. Him we proclaim, Paul says. And he's sharing with the church out of Colossae. He says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's why we're doing this series, that I can get the guilt off my conscience and sleep at night, that I can go before the Lord and say, I've done everything I can to prepare the sheep, the flock at Concord Bible to be mature in Christ. And the reason that is so desperately important right now is there are so many ideals competing for your heart and your conviction. So how do you know what you should be about? So we're going to get to it this morning. And the idea is this. This is the number two in the series, Christian living people of purpose. Christian living people of purpose. Why is this so important? Well, one of the advantages here is looking at how we make decisions in our life that affect our spirit, our soul. We make decisions every day. I make decisions every day that affect my spirit, my soul. There are so many things out there in the ether that are competing for your conviction. Not just your attention, but your conviction. And it is desperately affecting the church. We'll talk about that a little bit more as we get deeper and deeper. My challenge is to show to you and to reveal to you how real this is. And right after we get done, we're going to have a time of prayer for you to engage with the Lord over this subject. So 
Christian living, being people of purpose. I've listed Romans 12, 2 as the key passage this morning. And you can turn there in your scriptures, and we're going to be in a lot of scripture today. Up on the slide, I'm only going to have a small portion of some of these scriptures, so write them down. You should have in your bulletin the, uh, the details of, uh, or, or not the details, but a piece of paper to take notes on. And this is an important one today. Not that they're not all important, but, um, well, this is number two in the most important series of your lifetime. All right? Really? <laughs> I, I brushed my teeth for you. Okay. I'm going to give it some context. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We use that word worship a lot. Sometimes we only align it to the music that happens in church. Church is a mechanism for worship, but how I pray is worship, how I study is worship, how I serve is worship. Amen? Thank you. How I say amen is worship. Amen. Oh, we're tracking today. This is good. So God is saying that this instruction, this is your spiritual... Have you ever wondered if God could just make a list for me, please? Here you go, folks. Here's the list. Now let me get to verse 2, which is paramount for where we're going today. Listen to verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern, and here it comes, what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Remember those three words. Number one, we should be careful about what we conform to. Amen? The answer to that that Paul gives to us is that we need to be transformed from the old man to the new man. What does that look like? We're going to talk about it uh, in just a few minutes. But then he surmises all of this instruction with these three beautiful statements about what is good, acceptable, and perfect. With all the things that are being thrown at you these days about who you are or who you aren't. Do you wish that there was a narrative out there that if we all just aligned under this, mankind would be good, mankind would be acceptable, mankind would be perfect? Here's the beauty, my friends, when it comes to Christian living and being people of purpose, we can know that. We can know that. So we're going to start this morning with four questions, four key questions. So these four questions, these four key questions are for breakthrough, spiritual breakthrough. Number one, do we truly want spiritual vitality or spiritual breakthrough? I mean, you got to start there, right? When you go to the doctor, the doctor may say to you, do you want to be healthy based off of the train wreck that you are? Does it even matter to you? That would be a great leading question, wouldn't it? 
Do we truly want spiritual vitality? If we don't wrestle with that question on the front side, the next three questions have no purpose or merit in our life. Does that make sense? Okay. So that's the first thing that you and I have to wrestle with. Do we want spiritual breakthrough or vitality? Now, let me explain real quickly. When I'm saying spiritual breakthrough, I'm not writing a book. I don't want to go on the top 10 list of, of uh, you know, the New York Times bestsellers. I, I'm, that's not why I'm using that word. I'm using that word because what I hear, what I see by the church after this year is a lot of people are just worn out. They're worn out physically, mentally, emotionally, and they are worn out spiritually. We have been put to the test and let us not disregard the beautiful opportunity to be gathered together today. Amen? So the reality for you and I, and for every believer, is to wrestle with, are we dry spiritually? And if we are, have we just accepted that? And we say, that, that's okay. I'm giving myself a break. I'm giving myself a timeout spiritually. That is never good. And we'll get into why. Number two, are we willing to be honest about who man is? How many of you, when uh, you're in a conversation with your spouse or a friend, just instantly throw up, hey, listen, seriously, I lied to you, and that's on me, that's bad, and on top of that, I snuck something the other night, and you didn't know about it, and I just want to admit to you right away, and oh, your breath is horrible. I mean, anybody operating on that level of honesty? It's not in our nature. For some of you, like, yeah, I'll let them know that their breath is bad. There's a theme here, isn't there? It's not in our nature to instantly go to self-deprecation. Now, that's the way modern psychology would term it. In Scripture, the way God terms it is spiritual confession and repentance, owning my decisions. It's not in our nature. What is in our nature is to defend ourselves and to justify bad choices, is it not? And so that's where the Holy Spirit and the Word of God does its work in our lives, is it sits there and, and, and is good and acceptable and perfect and shows us that that beautiful will of God, right? And it's by that that we measure our life. And we're able to understand what the metrics are, what the good choices are. And so this morning, we have to be honest about who man is as a whole and then as ourselves. And it'll be interesting and revealing where we go in Scripture for that. Question number three, are we willing to be honest about who God is? So much of the time, we're not honest about who God is. A tragedy happens in our life, and so we want to assign how man, question number two, how man's unique ability to be horrible, we take man's failures and we assign them to who? We assign them to God. We're not being honest about who God is, right? God becomes a spiritual scapegoat so much of the time because we don't know God. Back to our original verse out of Colossians 1, right? 
It is for this I toil, verse 29, not 28. It is for this that I toil, that you may know and understand with all wisdom who Jesus Christ is, so that you may be mature in your faith. You ever take your kids to Disneyland and they start whining because the drive is too long, but they don't know they're going to Disneyland? Just get that visual in your head. That's who we are so much of the time with God. I don't want to. When, when, when are we going to get out of the car, God? Right? And maybe there's some things that are for our benefit along the way. may not be our preference. But God has something majestic waiting for us. So we need to take an honest look as to who God is. And lastly, it's the application, right? Even if we get where we need to get with those first three questions, if we don't do question four, it's a waste of time. So question number four is, are we willing to make the necessary alignment for spiritual health? Am I willing to do things in my life, exercise, good diet, right? Stretching. Sorry, I've got really tight hamstrings for the past like eight months. I don't know why. So it's like, in Geneva, did you stretch? Shut up. I don't say that to my wife, but I think it. I just don't say it. Honest look number one first to worst. Turn to Judges chapter 2 if you have your scriptures with you this morning. And let me set the context to this. Judges chapter 2 takes us into this revealing aspect of who who man is and who God is and and God's incredible patience with mankind. I'll set the context real quickly is that uh, Israel has come out of Egypt, God has delivered them, and then Moses passes on. Who's they leave in charge? Did somebody say Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? No. That, that. Joshua. He leaves Joshua in charge. Remember, Joshua leaves the people. They blow the horns and walls fall down, and, and no boy named J- Joshua is allowed to play with my daughter Jericho. Um, don't want anybody, we don't want Jericho crumbling to pieces. So uh, Joshua is in charge. And so this is where the story picks up, is that the people have had a period of time under God's blessing and him bringing them into the promised land, right? Think about us. Think about how God provides for us. We recognize his hand in our life, and all of a sudden, life is just great. We've gone through the journey. God is great. We're reaping the benefits. The walls came down. Things are good. Verse 1, now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bosham, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? What's the problem with man? God had a standard. He brought them into a beautiful place he promised them. He made a covenant with them. And he said, be careful. Do not take on the thinking or the gods of the people that surround you. 
But what have you done? The very thing I warned you against, you did. After all I, right, this is, if I was God, this is what I would say. After all I've done for you, you did the very thing I warned you against. Now, is this because God's an egomaniac? No. It's because God is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one that separated the Red Sea. He's the one that sustained the people with manna. He's the one that provided. He has the infinite wisdom, concern, and goodness that says, do not follow things that have no merit. Protect yourself. Stop flirting with the world. So what happened? Go down to verse 6. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. Okay, so what's happened is the people already rebelled once. The Lord sends a messenger. They cry out. They what? They repent. And so under Joshua, they go through a great season of life. Then it says what? And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in timnath Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. I just earned my paycheck this week with all those words. And all the generations also were gathered to their fathers. Wait for it, here it comes. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So what happened? And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were what? Around them. And they bowed down to them. One generation. That's all it took to go from first to worst. And who is to blame? Well, each individual is to blame for themselves, right? God's given us the opportunity to seek him and to know him. But it really hung on leadership. It says a whole generation arose that did not know this God. The leadership stopped talking after Joshua died. The leadership stopped reminding the people of who the God of Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham is. Not was, but is. And so in one generation, the people go from first to worst. Do we see this in the world around us? Brothers and sisters, this is a commonality. This is a snapshot of mankind, and the problem mankind always has with God is that we start flirting with and we start turning to and paying attention to the Baals, the other gods all around us, and we wonder why we're spiritually dry. Because we smell and we look like and we sound like the surrounding nations. We do not smell like as the church. We do not look like as the church. We do not sound, did I get them all? 
smell, sound, and look like God more than we look like the world around us. The church is consumed right now with inclusion so that we can impress the world. How does this happen? Let me tell you where the, where the first part of this happens. When we become so concerned of the criticism from the world around us about who the church is. Let's be concerned with who God says the church is. Amen? When we start to be so concerned about the criticisms of the people around us who are antithetical to God himself, great, maybe we're doing something right. Look at history. Look at the history that man has with the world around them and with God. Look at our history with God. There's a pattern here. If we're truly concerned with being spiritually healthy, then we draw lines in the sand over our allegiances. Turn to James 4. So here's your New Testament reference that can help us understand Number one, who God is, but number two, what inevitably is man's problem? What is man's challenge? What is man's difficulty? And without hesitation, we go right back to exactly what the problem was with Israel. It's always the same problem. Friendship with the world is to be enemy with God. Let's look at it. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions, your desires, those convictions inside of you that drive you, that your passions are at war within you. You're conflicted. How do you get conflicted if you're singular in your focus? I don't think it's possible. But this is why we're conflicted. Look, James goes on to explain it. You desire and do not have, so you what? You murder. Oh, wait, pastor, that's going too far. I don't murder. You may not commit an act of murder, but in those moments where your desires lead you to do something that would hurt others around you. It's of the same spirit. It's not so much the literal word of murder that James is trying to help us understand. He's trying to help you and I understand. It's this idea that, that we covet, right? We desire and we don't have, so I will do whatever it takes to get what I want. Do we see that around us today? Do we see it in the church sometimes today? Yes. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it again on yourself and on your passions. We are focused on mankind and we are not focused on that which is perfect acceptable and good. This is the problem with mankind. Now you may be sitting there saying, oh pastor, you're making me feel really great about myself. Can we just move to the God part? That would be great. 
I'm almost done. I think I'll bring in this next little section of scripture just to seal the deal, shall I? You adulterous people. Now, I mentioned Helen of Troy, right? While I was brushing my teeth. You remember the legend of Helen of Troy? I got to tell you, if I could have one dinner with Helen of Troy, that would be phenomenal. Right? I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, what would I ask her? I don't think I could even ask her anything because she's so beautiful. She is such a raging babe, according to history. And I would just, oh, that is so good. So good. If I read you right. Yeah. Remember this moment. Forgive me just for a moment, okay? We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. You're dead meat. Anyway. If I could have one dinner with Helen of Troy and sit in that glorious, rapturous beauty for just a moment, oh, what would I give for that? Wow. And, and, and when I get, you know, when I'm done with, with that dinner, I could go around and tell everybody how great it was. And, and then I'd probably slip in a few things about how she thought I was pretty good too, you know what I'm saying? Preach, preach. I need to brush my heart. Oh, we'll circle back to that. Let's get back to scripture. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? In your NIV it says what? Hatred. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hatred with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. This is what your scripture is telling you. This is what God is sharing with you. And yet the church struggles so much to be acceptable in the world's eyes. This is a fundamental problem we have. This is why we are spiritually bankrupt in our churches. That would be a really good time to say an amen or preach or... Yeah, you mo- we're going we're gonna to pay you double this week. Yeah, okay. Thank you, brother. Are we being honest about who man is? Let's move to God because I know you're feeling a little beat up right now. 1 John 1.5, just a beautiful, beautiful statement from an eyewitness, right? If you ever struggle with someone who wants to deny who God is, deny who Jesus is, you take them to 1 John. And just ask them before you read this, ask them, do you believe in eyewitness accounts as a testimony on the stand as something worth convicting an individual or giving freedom to an individual? Right? I mean, court cases are kind of big right now in, in our nomenclature. And this is how we operate. We operate by testimony. But where you really get a conviction or you really get a, a, a defense, a solid defense, is when what? When the person was there, when they were an eyewitness. And that's how 1 John starts, right? And he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the logos, 
The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. John says, Jesus is God. He was real. I was there. And so everything Jesus claimed, either it's false, and I would give testimony to that, or being an eyewitness, I give testimony that everything Jesus said about himself is true. And John says the latter, does he not? The question for us to look at in an honest look number two is, is he worthy to be first in my life? Is he worthy to be first in my life? And so we see this statement from John just giving verification of who God is, right? And so let's ask some questions. Number one, let's look at this idea of who God is. God is holy and has a righteous and good standard. Revelation 15 is this beautiful revelation, for lack of a better word, of, of the end times of who God is and, and how John sees him in a vision and what is proclaimed about Jesus. So, Revelation 15, verse 4. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. Praise God. I mean, think about what John sees and the struggle he had to put it into terms. Have you ever been in a point in time where you just can't describe a moment in your life that was so incredible? How does John write down what he sees and he experiences? And I think this is the, the grandest, fullest way he can explain it, right? Who will not fear who you are? Who will not give you respect? Who will not give you honor when they stand before you and glorify your name? For you alone are what? Are holy. All nations, not some, but all nations will come and what? Debate about you? Kind of like scrutinize you, God. Figure out if you're worthy of our worship. No, this language is in the imperative in the Greek. There's no wiggle room is what that means. Is that John is saying all nations will come and worship you for your nominal acts, your sometimes questionable behavior, Your righteous acts have been revealed. Amen? Is he worthy? He is worthy. If we want to fulfill our purpose as God's people, if we're going to live like Christ, if we're going to have spiritual breakthrough. We have to understand who mankind is and our failures. Then we have to really understand who God is. And stop mixing the two. Amen? God holds 
soul bragging rights because of his very nature. Turn to Ephesians 4. There's the Revelation 4 part, but here's Ephesians 4, 4 through 7. Let's turn there together. In verses 4 through 7, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord. Is there a theme, or is it just me? One. When we say there is one way to do something, right? Have you ever been in that position? Managers? <laughs> Worship team leaders? Pastors, parents, there's one way to do this. And then your kid walks up to you, well, is there really? You know, I was talking to Billy over there, and, and the way they do things at his house, I'm not so sure there's just one way. You see, we negotiate, we flirt. We flirt with Helen of Troy. And that causes God to say, you what? You adulterous people. You're doing it again. And this is why you are spiritually dead. It's not because I broke my covenant with you. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And listen to this. This is incredible. And one, uh, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What a beautiful statement. There is no higher praise that you could give to anything, anyone, ever. He is everything. Good, acceptable, and perfect. So why do we chase after cheap substitutes? And we want to say we're fine doing it. We're justified doing it. My wife has sole bragging rights because of her very nature of being my wife. I need not to have one scintilla of a moment with Helen of Troy. I hear the sister in the front row. <laughs> but I got to tell you, that was an experiment on you all to see how long you would get irritated. How long? And I could see it in my sister's eyes over here. What are you doing? What, that is so not okay. Well, hang on a minute. Let's just go to scripture. Can't I enjoy God's beauty? I'm not cheating on my wife. Hmm. Isn't this how we do justification? And we wonder why our marriages are a train wreck. We flirt with the world. By her very nature, she gets all of me. By God's very nature, he deserves what? All of me. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? 
bring it. Let's finish up, shall we? I could just finish right now. Honest look number three, transformed, right? Going back to Romans 2. Don't be conformed to the pattern in this world, but if we want to be people of purpose, if we want to be Christ-like, if we want to be the church, if we finally figured out that we need to understand our frailty as mankind to turn our backs on God and chase after every little thing that comes across our path, because we've forgotten who God is, we've stopped focusing solely on him, that there is, in, in, in that lies the reason for my spiritual dryness. You have been flooded, I have been flooded this year with so many opinions about what is right and wrong. And in some cases, the church is caving. This church will not cave to a worldly philosophy. But we will love that world and be Christ to that world. I like yup. I'm a yup kind of guy. So being transformed does what? It seeks the good, the acceptable, the perfect will of God. If we go to Ephesians 4 again, you you should still be there. I worked it out that way, right? And and we pick up in verse 17. Listen to this. If you want to know how to apply this, this is it. Mark this down. If you wrote nothing else in your notes, you write down the idea of the new life, and you write down 17 through 32. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds. You see, we're, on, we're tracking on the same thing, right? They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They do not know God yet. They have not tasted of God. And so what business do you have in sharing now, now, you heard in the James passage, to be friends with the world is to be an enemy of God, right? Or to hate God. That word friend is this Greek, uh, Greek word that means fondness. Remember, Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors. James is not telling you to be mean or to be judgmental or to be rude. That is not who Jesus was. Amen, right? But what do you desire in your time off? Is it the things of the world? Or is it the Lord? This is truly what Paul is saying here to the church at Ephesus. He's saying, when given the option, what would you choose? It doesn't, Jesus himself says in the high priestly prayer in John 17, Protect them from the world. Do not take them out of the what? World. But in order to walk that line, my friends, and to be like Jesus, 1 John chapter 2, I had to skip it, but go back and read it. That if anybody wants to claim Jesus, we must walk like him. And that's where we are transformed. Right? We are transformed into his image more and more. Ephesians 5, keep reading, but let's look at the rest of this. He's he's talking about the Gentiles, the world, right? And it says, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, or greedy to practice every kind of impurity. 
But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. There we are back to desires, right? And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. There it is again, the familiarity of what he says to the church at Rome. Be transformed in your mind, right? And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteous and holiness. And you can continue to read through the rest of the, of the chapter and take spurious notes. Because it's written out what it should look like in application. This is what it should look like. Stop flirting with what the world around you offers and return to your first love. I love this picture. Right? Because this is, this is the personification of Jesus' words to the church at Ephesus. You see the dry desert on the left representing that spiritual dryness that sometimes we're involved in. And then you see the lush field. And Jesus says to that church, you've lost your first love because you got distracted. You're flirting with other things because it's in your old nature. Stop feeding the old nature. Don't conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And if we do those things, we will know the will of God, what is perfect, what is good, what is acceptable. And I guarantee you, you will not be spiritually dry. Amen? In a moment, we're going to have a prayer time because I would be remiss to preach this message and not give us an opportunity to walk through that between ourselves and the Lord. Something that we've read today speaks loudly to the title of this sermon. Paul says this to the church in Ephesus, but he also says it to the church in Philippi and Rome. He says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Therefore, we have to start asking those four key questions, right? And then we have to apply ourselves to it. I have a question. Anybody thirsty? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. So if only you could see what I could see, and this is the problem we suffer from so much of our Christian walk, is that we're just thirsty, but we go to the wrong source. And see this, I know what it looks like. God knows what it looks like. Are you thirsty? You got the song going through your head? We'll be singing it. When it comes to being people of purpose,
need to make choices. And the world masks so much of the time what they're offering for a drink. What is your choice? Do you want to be spiritually healthy? <laughs> Don't drink this garbage. But drink this. Other than the fact that that cup just cut my lip, that was refreshing. Let me close. And don't anybody come up and drink this. All right, let's go ahead and get that slide up for the prayer time. Father, take and use what you have chosen to reveal to us today. How can we be people of purpose? It's through good choices. It's through determined choices to honor you, to understand that you are worthy of all of our attention. Help us to stop flirting with the world. Help us to love the world. But keep us from being stained by the world. Help us to be Christ in a dark world. Help us to examine our lives now, Lord, that we can look and see where it is we need to make changes in what we choose so that we can be spiritually healthy. To you be all glory, Father. Amen.